Thank you, uh, Deacon Susan, for leading us in service and Wilford and the music team. A very good morning to all my brothers and sisters in Christ. So good to see all of you. I believe uh, it's God's grace that we are able to come here week after week. It's my joy and privilege to share uh, his words with us this morning. And uh, for those of you who were here uh, last Sunday, last weekend, you will remember how uh, Pastor Kenneth shared about his son's uh, first day at school. Yeah, so uh, being a Kiasu parent, I cannot lose out, right? So I also want to share uh, my son's first day of school. Uh, yeah, <clears throat> so my son went to secondary one, uh, and he was uh, uh, either fortunately or unfortunately, he was chosen to be the chairperson for his class. And after just the first day of school, uh, he was traumatized. Okay, so, uh, yeah, so as his entire class, can I have the slide, please? So as his entire class, um, was new to a totally new environment, right? Uh, and they were unfamiliar with the school layout. So they were all like a little sotong swimming in a big ocean. Um, they failed to, or rather he failed to accurately estimate the time needed for his class to walk back from the canteen to the classroom after recess. So the entire class was two minutes late. So their teacher, stamped his authority by locking the classroom door and didn't allow the entire class in. He shouted at them, especially the chairperson, and threatened to make them outstanding students again if they are ever late again. You, you get the joke, right? Outstanding. So we see that we, we show our authority in various ways. No, it is not uncommon for, for us parents to cane our kids uh, or some of us would use anger to control them, uh, to show them who's the boss at home. I, I'm guilty of that as well. And I recall in my former organization, uh, whenever a new boss comes in, he would make his authority known. How? By changing the entire organization structure. You know, he will reorganize, and this reorganization will normally involve uh, demoting some individuals and removing some old guards, uh, you know, especially people whom he don't really like, uh, while promoting others and recruiting his friends into power, uh, removing traces of the old regime and transiting to a new regime. So we see that if Mark claims that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, then how Jesus shows his authority becomes important to his readers to know what kind of king he is and what kind of kingdom he would usher in. And today I'll be preaching from Mark chapter 1, verse 40 to chapter 2, verse 17. And the best way to follow today's sermon is first to open your Bibles to the passage and second to open your hearts. You can do the first but I will pray for God to do the second. So let's look to God in prayer. Father, we thank you, Lord, for being our almighty God, a God who speaks to us, even as you speak uh, to my heart through your words and through me to my brothers and sisters in Christ. I pray that you will open our hearts to receive your words with great joy and that we will obey it. So commit this time unto loving hands. We pray all this for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Mark chapter 1, verse 40. 
Okay, so today's passage we will cover uh, the three L's, uh, Jesus' encounter with the, the leper, the lame, and Levi. So first, uh, we look at chapter 1, verse 40. Uh, sorry, apologize if the text is a bit small. I, I will read the passage for us. And the leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand, touched him, and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it, to spread the news so that Jesus could not could no longer openly enter a town and was out in the desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. Have you ever went down on your knees to beg someone before? And I'm not talking about those of us who you know, propose to our wives to ask for their hands. Here's a man who comes to Jesus in a posture of humility, kneeling and begging Jesus. Begging Jesus for what? Well, this is what he said to Jesus. If you will, you can make me clean. Don't you think it's a very strange thing to say to someone? Shouldn't he say to Jesus, if you will, you can heal me? Well, in order to understand this man's desperation, we first need to understand what it means to have leprosy some 2,000 years ago. So what is leprosy? Well, in the Bible... Leprosy is used loosely for uh, various kinds of skin diseases, okay? Because at the time, perhaps medically, they're not so advanced, so they just classify them under leprosy. But this includes Hansen's disease, which we know it today as leprosy. It is an infection caused by the bacteria, uh, Mycobacterium uh, leprae. Am I right, doctors, in our midst? I hope I am. The bacteria damages the skin, eyes, respiratory tract, and nerves. And the nerve damage may result in a lack of ability to feel pain. And the, so this nerve damage can result in crippling hands and feet from repeated injuries because they don't feel any pain, right? They don't know if they have a, 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 perhaps a, a rock in their shoes, a stone. They keep rubbing against it. And it may also lead to paralysis and blindness. And leprosy is infectious. No, it's a bit like if you contract COVID today, uh, you will need to be in isolation to stop the spread uh, into the community. But leprosy is not, uh, it's infectious, but it's not uh, extremely contagious. I have to uh, put a disclaimer here. And there, there were guidelines to curb the spread of leprosy in those days. So guideline is found in Leviticus chapter 13, verse 45 to 46. The leprous person who has a disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose. And he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, Unclean! Unclean! He shall remain unclean as long as he has a disease. He's unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. So for the leper back then, to prevent the spread of the disease and contamination to the others in the camp, they are quarantined outside the camp in isolation. 
very different from us today, right? Those of you, some of, I know some of you may have uh, uh, health risk warning or may even contracted uh, COVID-19 previously. Uh, you will be in isolation in the comfort of your homes, isn't it? Uh, with aircon, access to Netflix, you know, can call for Grab. Uh, actually, it's quite fun uh, because if your, your symptoms are not too severe, right, then no one can disturb you, right? You can have peace. Yeah, some of us would enjoy that. Uh, and not just that, they are to announce their uncleanness by shouting, unclean, unclean, so that uh, others do not touch them or come near to them. So the leper, they are shunned by society. And I'm not sure how they are going to get food and work. And the leper also has no access to the temple, to the synagogues. So there's no known cure for leprosy in those days. And any cure is purely by the grace of God. So here's a leper who came to Jesus and begged him with these words, If you will, you can make me clean. We see his faith and confidence in Jesus. He's certain that Jesus has the authority to cleanse him. But the only thing he's unsure of if, it's, if Jesus is willing to. As we continue, moved with pity, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. Here we see in verse 41, Jesus was moved with pity. In the NIV, is, this word is translated, uh, Jesus was indignant, he was angry. A very strange translation, right? But we are quite sure that Jesus is, if, even if Jesus is indignant, Jesus is not angry with the man. Or rather, Jesus could be angry with sin and its consequences. But I would go with the ESV's interpretation because it makes more sense and flows smoother with the context. That Jesus was moved with pity. Jesus had compassion for the man. And Jesus showed his compassion for the man in the most intimate way to a leper who had been deprived of human touch for the longest time. Jesus did the unthinkable. He stretched out his hand and touched him. And with the pronouncement, I will be clean, the unimaginable happened. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. Even today, with early diagnosis, Leprosy can be cured, but the treatment usually takes one to two years. Jesus shows that he has authority to cleanse a leper, and his authority is never without compassion. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once, and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone. Very strange, right? This is the paradox of Jesus' ministry. He sees the leper, has pity on him, cleanses him, yet he sends him away and charges him not to tell anyone about it. But why did Jesus prevent the leper from telling others? Well, perhaps Jesus didn't want the crowd to come to him merely for blessing and material benefits. For physical healing alone was not his mission as he states in chapter 1, verse 15, the opening passage that we wrote, his mission was to call people to repentance. And his true nature can only be understood from the foot 
of the cross. And Jesus then commanded the man to go and show himself to the priest for two purposes. First, to show himself to the priest to verify his healing. To get his, you know, it's a bit like you know, going to the doctor to get a PCR huh, to verify. Yeah? So that he can be declared ceremonially clean and be reintegrated into society. This is very important for the leper. You know, like some of us having your vaccinate, uh, vaccination status updated, you know, with the little otter swimming here and there. Now you can go to the movies and food court. You can be reintegrated into society. And second, it's for the leper to make the necessary offerings commanded by Moses to thank God for healing him. And lepers were regarded as living corpse. And the cure of, for leprosy is equated to raising the dead, according to 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 7. It's an act of God that he has been healed. And the cleansed leper was a living proof to the Jerusalem priesthood that Jesus does what only God can do. Verse 45, But he went out and began to talk freely about it and spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in the desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. Here we see, I don't know about you, maybe some of us have known Jesus for a long time, and you know, Jesus doesn't excite us anymore. But here the leper cannot contain his joy with his encounter with Jesus and for what Jesus has done for him. He went out and told others about his healing, well, did Jesus foresaw what would happen? You bet, he did. But that didn't stop him from cleansing the leper because of his compassion for him. And so Jesus suffered the inevitable repercussion. He became the talk of the town, so popular that he could no longer openly enter a town and was out in the desolate places. Even then, people were still coming to him for healing. So the irony is this, Jesus restored the leper, a social outcast, to be made a social outcast by the leper. What a reversal of roles, isn't it? So we continue in chapter 2. And when Jesus returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home and many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door, and was preaching the word to them. And so after a couple of days of uh, taking cover out in the desolate places, Jesus sneaked back to Capernaum. And when Jesus came back home, a crowd heard about his arrival, and they, they gathered all at his home, expecting more healing from him. But guess what? Jesus was interested to preach the word to them. See, his works and miracles are to authenticate his words, that his words are true, pointing to himself as the Messiah. And as Jesus was preaching, preaching a sermon like what I'm doing right now, and they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. See, this man, uh, I use the word lame, right? Actually, uh, a more accurate description would be paralytic. Uh, I just needed an L word to rhyme with leper and Levi, okay? So if the leper was shunned by society, 
then this paralytic who is bedridden and stuck at home would be overlooked and ignored by society, but not by his four friends. They brought him to see Jesus. But there was a huge crowd at Jesus' home. You know, it's like going to the polyclinic, almost impossible to see the doctor. And they couldn't get to him. So they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they laid down the bed on which the paralytic lay. They parachuted the, the paralytic to Jesus. And their actions didn't go unnoticed by Jesus. Why? Because they break into his house in the middle of his sermon. You know, Jesus didn't scold them for interrupting his preaching, say, hey, you terrible, shut up. No, he didn't say that. Instead, what did he do? He stopped to make time for them. In verse 5, And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. As Pastor Roger has pointed out, it's such an unusual thing to, to say to a sick person, right? Those who are doctors in our midst, the next time a, a, person, a patient comes to see you, you tell them, Son, your sins are forgiven. All right, they will say, hey, you see this doctor. They came for healing, but Jesus offers forgiveness. But why did Jesus do that? Why did he offer forgiveness instead? Well, a good doctor gives an accurate diagnosis and treats the root cause and not merely the symptom. I repeat, a good doctor gives an accurate diagnosis and treats the root cause and not merely the symptom. So as a pastor, if you have watched the testimony uh, not too long ago, Pastor Jeff uh, shared, right, he went to see a doctor uh, for what he thought was food poisoning because he had severe diarrhea and vomiting. But the, but the doctor diagnosed that he was having a heart attack. And if the doctor just simply treated his symptoms of diarrhea and vomiting, then probably Pastor Jeff would be having uh, coffee with Jesus in heaven today. <laughs> but the doctor accurately identified the root cause of his problem that he was having a heart attack. Likewise, Jesus, the master physician, is not keen to merely treat the symptom of the man's problem, which is his paralysis but he went straight for the root cause, which was his sin. You see, brothers and sisters in Christ, sin has ravaged humanity. Our rejection and rebellion against God has brought about his rightful judgment against us. Our illness, our suffering, and eventual death are all brought about by our sins. See, our greatest need is not healing, but holiness. And here, Jesus offers the cure to our greatest need, the forgiveness of our sins. Verse 6, Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? So we see a bunch of scribes protesting. But why were they protesting? Well, they were protesting because Jesus put himself on par with God by making the claim that he has the authority to forgive sins. Claiming to be able to do only what God alone can do is tantamount to blasphemy. And the penalty for blasphemy in those days 
was the death penalty. So Jesus is either disillusioned on a suicidal mission or he's truly God. Verse 8, And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or, or to say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. Okay, now let me ask you, brothers and sisters in Christ, which is easier to say? Okay, those of you who, who think that it's easier to say, your sins are forgiven, can you just raise your hands? Okay, I see some hands. Thank you for doing that. Those of you who think that it's easier to say, take up your bed and walk, raise your hands. Okay, at least I see a, a doctor raise his hands over there. <laughs> this is a trick question. Please allow me to explain. On one hand, it is easy to say to someone, your sins are forgiven. Because no one can see, can see whether a person's sins are truly forgiven or not, isn't it? So to make a paralytic walk seems harder because everyone can see that. But in reality, to forgive sins and to make a paralytic walk is both impossible with men. Only God has the authority to do that. And verse 10, verse 10 is really important. So I need your, your full attention here. Jesus is going to make an astounding claim here to reveal his identity and authority. Firstly, Jesus does the visible to prove the invisible. He said, I will make the paralyzed man walk the visible so that you may know that I have the authority to forgive sins, the invisible. He does an immediate physical restoration of the man to prove his authority of a greater restoration that he will one day bring about on the cross. So in that way, Jesus' words, your sins are forgiven, are prophetic, speaking about his impending death on the cross for the forgiveness of sins. That's the first one. The second one, Jesus hears the man as an, on, as an authentication of showing his true identity. Here in verse 10, Jesus' favorite self-reference is the term son of man. You know, like some of you have your uh, Instagram, right? You put, uh, I, I put a like, follower of Christ, uh, husband, you know, whatever, uh, Liverpool fan or whatever you, your self-reference is. But here, Jesus' favorite self-reference to it's son of man. The son of man is a reference to the person that the prophet Daniel saw in a vision in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. One who was given dominion and glory and an everlasting kingdom by God himself. So 13 and 14 of Daniel chapter 7, I saw in a vision, in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one, sorry, I think 
Was there a word cut out? But never mind. One that shall not, shall not be destroyed. Okay, there's a sentence which has been missing there. So here we see that Jesus calls himself the Son of Man because he offers himself for the forgiveness of our sins. The King who gave his life for his people. No wonder God bestowed upon him with glory and sovereign authority over all peoples. And next we see in verse 11, Jesus said, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Indeed, Jesus answered the scribe's question, who can forgive sins but God alone? And leave no doubt to his true identity. The third and last person we are going to meet is Levi. And Jesus went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him. And he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphesus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. See, Levi is an interesting character. Why? See, unlike the leper and the lame who were poor and sickly, we are not told that Levi is suffering from any sort of crippling disease. And from this account, Levi is not having any financial hardship either. In fact, he's gainfully employed as a tax collector, although his choice of job is not a popular one. The leper and lame came desperately in search for Jesus. But Levi is just chilling out you know, at his tax booth one day when Jesus calls him to follow him. And although Levi didn't have a need for Jesus to cure his physical illness, but he recognized his need for Jesus. So he, respond, he responded with obedience and followed Jesus. And he was so excited not just to have Jesus over at his house for a meal. Uh, that's what the, the phrase recline at table means, okay? To have a meal together. Levi threw a banquet for Jesus and invited all his friends over to meet him. You know, it's a bit like, you know, when, when you have a, a newborn and then you, you, you will have a baby shower because you are so excited to share our joy with our families and friends. We want all of them to come to meet our newborn, isn't it? And here Levi, Levi can't wait for his friends to come, to come and meet Jesus. And verse 16 tells us, and the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Well, as compared to the leper and the lame, why don't they like Levi and his tax collectors' friends? Well, you see, although the, the leper was shunned and the lame was overlooked, it is the tax collectors and sinners that were really detested by society. They were the scum of the earth. The tax collectors not only worked for the Romans, seen as the enemy, to extract taxes from their own people, 
often they will inflate the taxes for their own benefits. It's similar to uh, those Singaporeans who used to work for the Japanese during, uh, World War in, in, during World War II. They were despised as traitors. And as compared to the leper and the lame, the tax collector's sins also impact a wider section of society. Why? Because they increase taxes. You know, very soon our GST will go up by 2%, right? Yeah? Deny. It will impact a wide uh, spectrum of society. So their sins, uh, the society felt it more. And while the sinners, well, the sinners here were the other lawbreakers in the sight of the scribes, and they protest against Jesus because having a meal together is a sign of friendship and fellowship. When was the last time any of you uh, had a, a meal with your enemy? Anyone call your enemy say, come, let's meet up for a meal? No one, right? And not just that, not just a sign of friendship and fellowship, but it also, it also shows a degree of acceptance of the sinner's behavior. So if you follow the logic of the scribes, they protest because this Jesus is terrible. First, he blasphemes against God by forgiving sins. And now he condoles sinners' behavior by having fellowship with them. This Jesus is a lawbreaker himself and surely cannot be from God. Verse 17, And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So earlier on in the scribes' protest against Jesus, they failed to see two things. The first, the scribes failed to see the purpose of Jesus' mission. When Jesus had a meal with the tax collectors and sinners, he did not come to endorse their sins. No, in fact, he did the very opposite according to Mark chapter 1, verse 15. He came to cause sinners to repent and to believe in the gospel. He came to have a meal with Levi and friends because he was on house call as a doctor. They were sick and they needed him. And Jesus was a friend of sinners because he came to save sinners. The scribes thought if Jesus came to usher in the kingdom of God, then he would surely welcome them, the religious elites, and not the social outcasts, the scum of this earth. But we see God's kingdom welcomes the unclean, the unable, the unpopular, those who are unable to contribute. Any who would respond to Jesus in humility, faith, and obedience, Jesus would surely welcome them into God's kingdom. I recall when I was a, a fairly young Christian serving national service, I was normally friendly and polite to people. But there was this particular guy in my company which I avoid talking to him because he was loud and brash and he, his body is filled with tattoos. So I discriminated against him. I spoke to almost everyone else except him. And so one day, lo and behold, I was uh, playing uh, Christian music. And as he was walking by, he stopped by and he asked me this question, hey, you Christian nah? So I was like, okay, I know where this is going. This guy is going to mock me for my faith. And so I said, yeah. Then in sarcasm, I asked him, you lay? And he said, he's a Christian. 
to my utter horror of everyone else in company. We were the only two Christians because he had a drug background and he went through helping hand and he came to know Jesus. And I was rebuked that day. I was so ashamed of myself. And I repented. And, uh, and guess what? He was one of my uh, brother uh, at my wedding. So don't discriminate against those who we deem lowly, unpopular, undeserving. If Jesus welcomes them, so must we. And this is the purpose of Jesus' mission, to call sinners to come to him. The second thing the scribes protest and they fail to see was they fail to see their own need for Jesus. If Jesus, then you will be thinking, if Jesus comes to call sinners to himself and offer forgiveness, the free gift of forgiveness, then why don't we see more people flock, flogging to Jesus? The church should be full house every week, isn't it? You should have a long waiting list. But the question is, do people recognize that they are sinners? No. Most of us think that we are okay and we don't need forgiveness. To the scribes, they were blind. They were blinded by their self-righteousness. They failed to see that they are sinners too and needed Jesus. So I'd like to share another uh, NS story. You know, during national service, I was uh, fit and healthy. You know, um, I did very well in NS. I, I even wanted to sign on as an army regular. Then my plan came to a halt when I was diagnosed with hypertension, young essential, I think it's called young essential hypertension or something like that, and was told that hypertension is known as the silent killer. Why? Because most with this illness, even severe uh, hypertension, may have no symptoms and may even feel perfectly fine. So the doctor asked me to uh, start on my medication to start on hypertension medication. Uh, I asked him for how long, he said most likely for life, and changed my lifestyle by cutting down on salt. But since I felt perfectly fine, I ignored the doctor's advice. So I put myself at risk of getting renal failure, heart attack, or stroke. But thank God, a couple of months later, I felt dizzy when I got out of bed too quickly. And then I realized that I needed to see a doctor to get the medication. I also realized that hypertension was not the silent killer. My foolish pride was the silent killer. It was my pride that I thought I was young and fit and felt fine that caused me to ignore the doctor's diagnosis and advice. Likewise, friends, our pride blinds us from recognizing our own sinfulness. And without recognizing our own sinfulness, our own condition, you will never come to Jesus for forgiveness. The leper knelt on the ground. The lame had his friends lowered him through the roof. Levi followed Jesus without question. We may be physically here, but our hearts may be a million miles away from Jesus. Do you recognize your need for Jesus on a daily basis? Even as a pastor, I need Jesus every day. You know, when I drive my kids to school, I never realized I had blind spot. 
And I'm not talking about uh, not being able to see other vehicles. I was blind to my own bad driving. I will always criticize and grumble at other drivers' bad driving every single time I send my kids to school without fail. But guess what? I didn't realize I was doing that. Until one morning, my daughter, uh, it's good to have children because they, they, they rebuke you. Lah. Yeah. They're good for your soul. And, and they also uh, give you the opportunity to practice patience and, and forgiveness as well. So anyway, uh, yeah, she, she rebuked me for, for doing that. Then I realized that actually I'm not such a law-abiding driver after all. I was just blind. Blind to the times I filter lane without signaling, I exceeded the speed limit and refused to give way to the driver who refused to give way to me. Okay, I've said it. I need Jesus every day of my life to guard my heart and to guide my steps. So in summary, in application, What's our response to this passage? Well, I believe that the best gift we can offer to others is Jesus. For those of us who are parents, you know, for our kids, we spend so much time and money, you know, trying to get them established and set for life. But what is the best thing that can help to see them through life? It's Jesus. Some of us have family members or even our own kids who are, who are strange sinners who refuse, perhaps refuse to uh, have anything to do with uh, Christianity anymore. What can we, how can we help them? What do we say to them? I believe it's still Jesus. The one with the authority to offer cleansing, forgiveness and healing. We can offer them Jesus. And you see, brothers and sisters in Christ, we may not have the ability to cleanse a leper or to make the lame walk, but we, sh we, we sure can host a meal like Levi and invite our friends over, perhaps over to our place for online service or over to church to know Jesus. So uh, Deacon Susan has uh, took away part of my script here. I wanted to ask you all to write down one person whom you can share the gospel with this week. Yeah, I think somehow he read my script. So I believe you have done that. You have prayed for that one person, I hope. And I pray that you will continue to pray for the person because only if you put the person in prayer and in your heart will you invite him, will you share the gospel with him. For we have the gospel, God's power for salvation. And I, and uh, some of you would know I, I, I don't just serve in basic. I serve in the bereavement ministry along with Pastor Jeff as well. And some of us, um, yeah, some of us may have loved ones or ourselves are suffering from chronic or terminal illness. Or to our dying loved ones, what hope can we give them? To a bereaved family who just lost their loved ones, how can we comfort them? We can give them Jesus. Why? To assure them that disease is not sovereign. Sin is not sovereign. Death is not sovereign. Only Jesus is sovereign over your life and mine because he has authority over them all. So, yes, offer them Jesus in and out of season. Next, 
The best way to do that is with compassion. To those of us who are DG leaders, uh, basic leaders, pastors, elders, deacons, let me ask you a question. Is it possible to minister without compassion to others? It's impossible. Why? Because you will have people under your care. You have sheep who will be like the leper. He will sabo your ministry. You will have people who are like the lame. He brings nothing to you, but might be super dependent on you. You might have people who are like Levi and friends, unpopular people, people whom you don't want to uh, add to your Instagram, you know. Uh, you know, like uh, recently when celebrities be uh, are caught in scandal, a lot of their other celebrity friends are unfollow or un unfriend them, isn't it? So it's difficult to, to minister without compassion because you will have challenging people as your sheep. And guess what? Jesus ministered to the twelve, and the twelve includes Judas, who betrayed him, Peter, who denied him, and ultimately, every single one of them would forsake him at the cross. But Jesus never sidelined any of them. I recall as a young Bible study leader, uh, once a year, I would ask for feedback about my leading, okay, so that I know where I ought to improve. And I once received a note with a message which struck me to the core as feedback. This is what the person wrote. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. It may sound cliche, but it is true. They know you have lots of Bible knowledge and knows a lot about Jesus, but they just can't see it in your life. So as we, as Bible study leader, as DG leaders, no, don't do all the talking. Listen to them. Show that you genuinely care for them. Make time for them to meet them, to listen to their struggles, and to pray for them. Next, we see ministering with compassion also means that we don't neglect their immediate needs even as we offer them Jesus for their greatest need. We don't send someone away hungry while telling them that Jesus is the bread of life. See, Jesus didn't neglect healing even as he offered forgiveness of sins. If you recount, Jesus fed the 5,000 in the wilderness even as he preached to them. I'm not asking you to meet all their needs. It would be futile to do that. But to meet their urgent needs. And I guess um, our bus ministry would be a very good example. You know, um, as you would have heard on many occasions on their testimony, how the, our brothers uh, serving at the bus ministry, our prisons, our aftercare ministry, they would provide uh, jobs for those who were just released to provide for them. And it would even help them to get a roof over their, shout, uh, a roof over their heads. And perhaps some, someone from your DG needs help urgently because their child is sick or their parents are hospitalized. And we don't see them as an interruption to our life. But we see this as God-ordained opportunity to show love and compassion.
In summary, Jesus is the king who shows his authority over sickness and sin and calls sinners to himself. Will you heed the call and join the call? Amen.